And we are live. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody, for coming back. My name is Alana Whitaker. I go by Afro Butterfly. And welcome back to the Digital Green Book Podcast. As you know, I love to bring a whole host of amazing, dynamic individuals here to my platform to share their knowledge and expertise with you and myself. I really think these are conversations that I would have with these individuals if I was chatting with them on the phone. But I, I love to have these conversations in front of my audience, my friends, my family, because we frankly don't get to have enough of these conversations. Today with me, I have the amazing Lauren Washington. She does so many things, wears so many hats, but today we're here to discuss her beautiful, amazing project, Thunder.ai. I had the pleasure of watching her pitch recently at Fearless Fun, which you know everything that's going down with Fearless Fun. This is the time to highlight Black-owned businesses, women-led businesses, and really talk about the funding metrics that occurs in the entrepreneurial space, especially as it pertains to Black and Brown founders, especially female founders. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Really excited to jump into this conversation. Absolutely. You know, I've been very honored over these last few years to really build out the network that I'm building. And I'm surrounded by so many amazing and dynamic people. And when I look at just the multi-hyphenate long list of work that you've done, it totally makes sense to me how you wound up working on this project with Thunder. Could you go into your tech journey a little bit? Like how, how did you arrive at the space now where you sort of want to fix that gap between entrepreneurs who are seeking their, possibly their start up funds, their first funds, maybe their series A funds and the VCs and the angels who want to connect with them. How did you get to this point now? Yeah, I don't think I could have mapped this out for myself, if I'm being honest. I think so much of it came from my personal journey and personal experiences. Uh, and one of the things I say to entrepreneurs is just be open to learn and shift. Um, I never thought I would be working in anything finance related. I hated doing that in undergrad and just never saw myself in this space. But I think what ended up flipping for me was the application of how finance is used in this space um, and creating and connecting that to a passion that I have, which is around equity. Um, and so that made all the difference for me. So in terms of my overall journey, I did Teacher America right out of undergrad. And then I went into the branding and marketing space. I did that for a few years, got my degree um, in business, got my MBA at Kellogg Northwestern, and then came out and worked on the agency side. I was there for about three years. I worked with over 100 global brands and all different industries and spaces. Um, and that led to my first company, which was called Keep Up. And we were essentially using um, social media data to pull out insights for larger brands. Uh, we ended up winning the 43 North competition up in Buffalo, New York. <laughs> which was great. Uh, we were two months after we had launched and I was just thrown into this space that I knew absolutely nothing about. Uh, everything was foreign to me from the words people were using and the process and how everything worked and how to create this tech company. Uh, and what ended up happening was I thought because we won this huge pitch competition, we won $250,000, we beat out 14,000 people. I thought we were set, right? We can go in and fundraise right after this and keep going. 
I hit a wall after that and I wasn't able to fundraise. And it was baffling to me because that was against all of the advice I was getting from people. Like, oh, just throw together an MVP, go out there, raise a million dollars and you're ready to go. Uh, until I met some of these other women, particularly two uh, who became my co-founders of Black Women Talk Tech, Asosa and Regina. Uh, and we started talking and comparing notes. <laughs> And that's what led to my second business, which is uh, now the largest conference series for Black founders. And throughout that time, hearing my story over and over again, people who had built these incredible businesses, some who had millions in revenue and could not get a single check in the door. For me, that meant that there was a systemic issue here. There was something that was happening that had nothing to do with the individual founder. And I really wanted to take a stab at changing that. So that's what led to Funder is how can we create a tool or a larger system that can help combat some of this bias and create more opportunity for people who are creating incredible businesses. I mean, I think you summarized that very well. And we hate to think that some of those insidious things might actually be lurking, but that's very much a narrative that I've heard. That's very much a narrative that a lot of my friends in the entrepreneurial space have heard. Like, hey, if you actually build a viable MVP, once you start getting funding, it should be relatively, well, not easy, but it, it should be expected that you've shown a track record of market interest and you should get other investors and individuals interested in your project. So that's very interesting for me to hear that even with such a substantial amount of money, $250,000 with your first project, you were running into the issue of finding additional funding. Do you feel like during that period of time, you actually got meaningful feedback or transparent feedback on why additional individuals you would approach would say no? Sure. But I think that the job of the investor is to poke holes, right? Like they are putting investment into very, very risky businesses. So for any investment they're going to make, they can have a reason not to invest. <laughs> right. So, yes, of course, I think some of the feedback that we got was helpful. And especially now, later in my journey, looking back at it, I understand some of the things uh, that were issues. But I also know a lot of other people who had similar issues or other people who had problems that we're able to get funding to navigate them, right? And I think that's the big difference is who has the capability and the resources to navigate issues that every startup has so that they can move past it and create something that really has product market fit. Uh, the founder of Clubhouse came out recently. They had a huge pivot recently into, now I think they're an audio messaging app and he said, yeah, because we got so much money up front, it wasn't stressful. We could create a whole new product. We could go out to the market. We could do this because we had that safety net. And I think the larger question is, who is getting that safety net? Who is getting that opportunity to make mistakes? The opportunity to make mistakes, I think that really sums up what people from our community are looking for. It's not even that we're looking to be uplifted above other people. When we, when we talk about equity uh, and try to characterize the nuance of what equity really means, especially in something as competitive as the capitalistic nature of America and the global market, 
for entrepreneurs. Do you feel the sentiment around the word equity is truly understood or is there a place for defining equity or has room been made for the word equity in the entrepreneur VC angel space? What, what does that look like in your estimation? I think it's just starting to get defined in terms of what that looks like. I mean, when we talk about metrics, yes, we all now know about this funding gap, but the first Project Diane report, which came out in 2016, which was only a few years ago, um, was the first time we actually understood that only 11 Black women had gotten funding at that time and that we were getting 30 cents to the, the dollar on every uh, check that was written. Uh, so that was the first time that this was brought up. So if you really think about it from a timeline perspective, uh, we're just now uncovering some of these things. But we've also known long enough in the space, and everyone's aware, that I think the idea of equity um, is still really important. There's a lot of people who are pushing it. Um, and I think really defining it so that it's about opportunity and not just handouts is super important. Um, and I think that's the gap that I'm seeing right now when you have these quote unquote equity funds, they are smaller. <laughs> They're not equal to their other funds. They have very different requirements for them. Uh, normally the founders have milestones they have to hit or programs they have to go through, uh, which is an extra burden for them. And so I don't think this concept of equity has really taken shape yet in terms of understanding we just want the same opportunities as everybody else. And that comes with funding. <laughs> That's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So now as we move into sort of discussing the, the whole ethos behind Funder.ai, and we've touched on the basics of what we want as a community, we just want the equal opportunity to compete and actually get funds to fund our dreams, to have that safety net, as you so eloquently put. But we still know that there's that less than 1% chance that that actually mm -hmm. might occur what are some things that you feel that you've built into Funder that can begin to solve some of these issues? And what are some possible notes that other VCs might consider if they want a more robust pool that they could invest in to give them ROI? Even if they're not here for the feel-good morals of it, we know diversity means dollars. So they might be missing out on funding or or a return on investment rather by not looking at our talent pool. Absolutely. And I think that's the piece that's missing from some of this conversation is the opportunity for investors. Uh, there's $4 trillion of economic value that we are not tapping into by not properly funding founders of color. That's a huge, huge opportunity. And like you said, there is value in diversity. We find that diverse First teams do better. Women do better. They give higher ROIs. <laughs> Underrepresented founders do better because if you think about it, you are constantly up against strife and barriers. So you're used to pushing forward in un 
ideal, unideal conditions, right? And so if you apply something like that to being a founder, I would put my money behind somebody like that, right? Who can figure out how to navigate problems and move forward uh, when all the odds are against them. Uh, one of the things that we're doing at Funder uh, is to be able to highlight different parts of the investor process so that they can pull out and optimize areas where they may have bias. So for example, if you can look at your uh, process in terms of how you're evaluating companies and you can see that this black woman who had a million dollars didn't make it all the way through, but this white man who had a million in revenue did, where did that process fall apart, right? Was it at the pitch? Was it at the, the deal negotiation? Um, what happened in that deal? And there is actually really great examples of this. Astia Angels put out an incredible report. They spent three years going in and looking at their process and found out that aside from race, they would have invested in a significant number of founders. And so they said, okay, well, what are the things that are happening here in terms of how we do this? And it wasn't just in their original process of choosing these founders, but it was after when they were going out to get other investors. So to syndicate that deal, they, uh, for white women, they only had to send it out to six uh, investors to close their round. And for Black women, they had to send it to 60 <laughs> to close the same round. <laughs> um, and so you see it in all different areas. And it's not always intentional, but it's cumulative, right? <laughs> so, so if it's harder to get through and it's harder to syndicate and it's harder to, to grow um, and continue to, to raise, what does that mean for the state of these companies and the state of the founders? It even makes me a, a slight pivot. It makes me want to ask questions about your own personal experience with mental health during that process. Like you're the entrepreneur, you're going out, you're seeking funding, you got your first funding, now you're trying to get follow-up rounds. And we've talked about the metal and the, the, the gumption that we have to keep pushing where other people might fold or give up or get exhausted. But I, I ask about this in each of the interviews, regardless of the topic. How do you manage burnout? How do you manage during this process, knowing you have to push 10 times harder to possibly get the same result? I, I love that question. And it's something that I don't think is talked about enough in the space. I actually wrote an article for LinkedIn about the emotional toll of fundraising because I wanted to highlight this. When you have to, like you said, work 10 times harder, the most people, most Black women who are raising a million and above, and there are still probably only 100 or so that are accounted for who have done that, um, most of them anecdotally have talked to hundreds of investors to get $1 million. That's a hard journey. Um, it's some of them, it takes years to get to that point where a lot of people I talk to can raise that in a couple of weeks, right? Um, so it's not only the length of time and the amount of work that goes into it, but that becomes demoralizing when you are um, comparing yourself to that. And when the general advice out there is just, oh, this should be really easy for you. <laughs> you know, you have a product, you have revenue, you have have a great background, just go out and do it. But when the system isn't working for you, it's 
easy to start internalizing that stuff and thinking that you're not a good founder um, and, and also just really wondering, you know, if this makes sense for you to continue doing. So a couple of things that I, I really recommend for people is firstly, just get a community, <laughs> like make sure that you're talking to people so that you know this is not an individual thing and you can share ways to navigate this and share ways to move forward and be successful. Um, and I think the other part is just uh, preparing yourself for that longer journey. Uh, your road is gonna look different, unfortunately, right now. And do you want to take that road? <laughs> do you wanna potentially spend two years to raise a million dollars and get 200 no's, <laughs> right? Is that something you wanna do? And if not, VC is not every, for everyone, right? There's other pathways in terms of building out your business. So I think that's a really, really important conversation to have for founders um, that we just, we don't address enough. That's a good comment. As a Black founder, the village we build will be so important in going through the barriers that are strategically blocking us. Most of us getting access to this funding from the basis of awareness, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So I have such a deep appreciation. Uh, I'm deep in the conference circuit just because, A, I love community. B, I love seeing what people ideate and come up with. And then I also really love seeing process because even if it's anecdotal, because in that moment, you're just looking at that one instance. I really want to see how does the pitch competition go down? Does this person feel confident? Is there, is their IP protected? Is somebody going to run off with their idea? Do Are, are there resources or follow-up for them? Even at Fearless Fund, my goodness, shout out to Renatural. Everybody, wait, I have lots and I want to order a wig from her. <laughs> exactly. Oh my goodness. But so, Pivoting back to funder.ai, do you feel like you have some tools that are built in place to sort of look at and address that to, to sort of stave off or prevent that burnout or even encourage the founder who might not even be thinking about that? Because most of us don't even take the time for that level of self-reflection, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Do you do you have some things built in where it might encourage the founder to say, hey, these are some considerations you might have to think about on your journey. Keep pushing. Yeah, no, it's it's a good question. Um, for Funder, we're mostly focused on investors. We are target generally is VC firms, accelerators, angel groups, family offices, but we bring all of their founders on. And so one of the things that we're moving forward and, and into is creating more uh, products and services for them. Uh, the feedback that we get is that fundraising is hard for everyone. <laughs> Let's just be clear. It's just hard in general. Um, and so having more insights into that, uh, whether it's data around um, what you need in terms of your team or your metrics to raise a certain amount of money or where you stand comparatively to companies that are similar to you, that's sort of where we're going um, so that people can have a little bit more transparency. Uh, I think this is a really asymmetric market where investors have a ton of data in terms of fundraising because that's all they do and that's all who they talk to and they can afford uh, expensive tools, but founders don't. And so generally what we're doing is just asking each other questions and uh, you have a very small sample size. Um, so providing that I think um, is helpful, like I said before, to set expectations, but outside of funder, uh, I still continue to do a lot of work around um, creating founder-led events because 
selfishly, I need that. <laughs> and if I'm able to bring um, all these people together, there, we can then support each other uh, in those ways that are not necessarily through a product, but through you know individual conversation and support um, and, and ongoing uh, help specifically from people who understand what you're going through. Exactly. So what would you say then is a good consideration for a founder who wants to be listed on funder? So you have all you are aggregating two very powerful pools of people, the VCs and investors and the angels and the family offices that have the resources and they get to take their time sifting through the absolute best of the best. Then the other pool over here are all of the ideators, the hungry people, the, the, the individuals who are willing to push, create, make a Voltron and <laughs> go off into the sunset with an amazing SaaS or an amazing service. What are some of your recommendations if you have entrepreneurs and founders who are looking to be listed on funder.ai? Yeah, we look for companies that are a little further along. So they're probably most likely in their pre-seed seed stage. And the reason why we're targeting that is firstly for investors, I think it's the greatest opportunity. Uh, you can make the largest returns, but it's also the riskiest, right? So if you compare that huge opportunity with the data behind it to make a better or or less risky decision, um, that's really exciting. And generally later on in the later stages of funding, there's a lot more data that these investors are using. So it's a huge opportunity for us and for those investors. Uh, we also want to be in that stage because it shows a little bit of traction. Generally, there's a product built, there's some revenue. Um, and then we also are looking for companies that have a little bit of money in their round. And that's just because of the time that we have spent on the platform and talking to these investors and just feedback that we've gotten is a lot of these investors are um, uh, have shifted in terms of their uh, metrics that they're looking for. So even angel investors want to have uh, monthly recurring revenue now. <laughs> it's, it's very um, different from a couple of years ago, even when you could just have that product and uh, you know get a ton of funding. Um, all of those metrics are kind of shifting upstream. So that's one thing. And then the second is any kind of online fundraising platform. Uh, it's going to be tough to find someone who's going to act as your lead, right? These people are most likely coming on to add to something that's already moving and has a little bit of momentum. So we specifically try to find those types of companies to set them up for the most success on our, our platform. Well, that makes sense. So what would you say is a good predecessor to Funder? You do say there's quite a bit of events and networking opportunities for the entrepreneur founder space uh, that you love to participate in and curate. So for the individuals who are funder aspiring, where are some good places or good resources to help get them up to snuff to prepare to be a part of your community? Yeah, I think there's, um, in terms of raising funds, the pitch competition that we mentioned, uh, there's tons of them. And a lot of that money um, are grants. Some of it is an actual 
equity investment, but there are a lot of pitch competitions that will, when you win, you just get that money and it's essentially free money for you. Um, so definitely look into those. It also really helps you hone your pitch um, so that when you're ready to go talk to investors, you have it pretty solid. Um, I think accelerators are really great. We went through the Sputnik accelerator here in Austin um, and it gives you both uh, money for most of them as well as support and education around that. So I think that's always a really good start. And you can usually come in a little bit earlier for accelerators. Um, there's a ton of grants, there's city grants, there's federal grants, um, there's just there's foundation and organization grants. So there's a ton of that you can do to start funding your business early. There's also friends and family. I don't always mention that first because I think our community doesn't always have that. Um, but I think you there's ways to bring in funding at the very early stages to kind of get you ready and start moving you forward to if you want to go that VC route. Mm -hmm. And I think that's wonderful because I, I have thoughts about the pitch competition route. There are some really great pitch competitions out there. Shout mm -hmm. out to Black Girl Ventures, Fearless Fund. There's really a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing that labor of specifically curating to our community. And I'm mm -hmm. glad you brought up that note about friends and family because I, I was having a conversation with some friends the other day. Um, very diverse group of people. And they're like, well, why, why isn't friends and family the first place they go? And I, I really think that it's not grasped or sometimes the um, some of the, the financial challenges of this community aren't, like they're just not perceived by other communities sometimes. They don't quite understand. Even if they can articulate them, they don't really understand the processing of that. So with that, I sort of want to pivot back to data. We were chatting about data backstage before we hopped on. Could you touch on just your, your broad understanding of what do the metrics actually look like in recent years for Black and Brown founders, particularly female founders as well, when it does come to getting financial recognition in this space from a, a VC or an angel? Yeah, it's it's pretty dismal, if I'll be honest. Uh, I for all women founders, they raise about two percent of all VC funding. For all underrepresented founders or Black founders, I should say that's one percent. And then so that intersectionality piece of Black women is about 0.3 percent, and that has not changed. Um, it's actually gone down. There was a little bit of a spike around from 2020 to 2021 because there were a lot of commitments that were made after the social justice movement, but most of those commitments haven't been deployed. So only 1% of billions of dollars has actually been deployed. And so what ended up happening was we had a little bit of a spike a couple of years ago. Last year, the market started crashing. This year, it's, it's fully um, changing. There's a huge market correction. Um, funding overall is down 50%. And so therefore funding to black founders is down even more. Um, I think earlier this year it was something like 70 or 75% um, year over year, it was down. So it's um, one of those things that is really frustrating, but I also think we have to remember that this is a long fight. It's a marathon, right? There's not gonna be change overnight out here. And so, 
there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be some wins. There's going to be some losses. Um, and we have to prepare ourselves um, and understand that there is progress being made. I personally see the fact that everyone knows there's a funding gap as progress. That's huge. I see the fact that people are getting more funding and we had that, that, that um, growth a couple of years ago as progress. I think that's great. Now we understand that we have to get funding into people's hands, um, but just preparing yourself emotionally for those ups and downs, um, if you're fighting and doing this work is really important. And then also if you are fundraising, it's, it's important as well. The other question to segue off of that, because we're just diving straight into all the hard questions, a, a lot of discussion really has been had about the DEI space. I know a lot of individuals who do this type of work are a bit gun shy right now. I personally know about seven or eight individuals after the Supreme Court ruling as far as uh, affirmative action and bias around demographics have been laid off in the DEI space, have been laid off from ERGs. A lot of the commitments there that were made post, you know, 2020 sort of have evaporated like okay that was cute we had that department for a little while now that's gone we're just we're just gonna phase that out shift it or repurpose funds and it's swept under the rug under the guise of market timing finances whatever the case may be and just to look at the elephant in the room for a moment that that has it's we blatantly see the broader implications even outside of college admissions in different DEI departments and large legacy companies, it also will have a direct implication for funding as well. Or even if someone's not going the VC route, if we're talking about grants, if we're talking about alternative sources of funding, there might be a bit more implicit bias there as well, especially if you have maybe a service-based business that's more focused on a particular demographic or community. We all saw what happened with Fearless Fund and them getting sued basically for trying to have an equitable lift for black and brown women. Uh, do you have any thoughts around maybe the outlook of the next two to five years as it does pertain to the sentiment post-Supreme Court ruling? Mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to be tough. To be honest, uh, I think what we saw after the social justice movement was a lot of performative work, right? Oh, we're making these commitments. We're putting in these DEI heads. And then when that all died down, as far as conversation, everyone started pulling back. Um, I think the Supreme Court ruling, the lawsuit against Fearless Fund, it all, like you said, has wider implications. It's not just about the Fearless Fund. It's about the entire industry. And it's beyond that industry, actually, because if anyone who gives grants or uses race to determine any kind of funding, think foundations, um, think uh, pro, uh, programs where they're bringing in interns, all of those are going to go away or be affected in some way. So I think we have a really big fight coming up. But one thing I want to point out is the idea of um, an extinction event. So generally what is happening right now is we're seeing some shifts towards progress. 
And people who do not want that to happen or people who are not benefiting from that are going to come out and start fighting harder, right? Um, it's like, oh, we're moving forward. And so that's why we're seeing this back and forth. They're fighting really significantly because they feel like they're going to be extinct, right? Um, and when you see people who do that or even animals or um, plants, it's all in all different types of worlds, they fight hard not to. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a lot of what's happening right now. It's the the backlash to the pro progress that we made in the last couple of years. And it's going to be strong over the next couple of years. But I see it as a way of something that's going it, in a good way that we're moving towards progress. They, they know that this is changing. They know that um, the tide and the sentiment um, in the country has changed. Uh, so it's really a small voice of people who are doing this, but they unfortunately have a lot of money to make a lot of noise. <laughs> um, and so I think if we all gather and come together, support fearless funds, support everyone else who's now being targeted by the same types of lawsuits, uh, hopefully we can pull together and fight this uh, to a better outcome. I agree. And so, so it's not all doom and gloom. And so people aren't sitting necessarily in their feelings, although they are entitled to this is, I mean, this is your livelihood. This is, this is our livelihood. This has broader generational implications, you know, but because we're action-based, because we are solution-based, let's talk about resources. And when I say resources, I'm not even talking about financial at this point. I think one of the greatest tools against any kind of change or being ignorant or left in the dark about something is education, uh, particularly staying on top of data and statistics, staying on top of all of the metrics, not only around this space, but around the DEI space, around funding. I always advise anyone in my audience to like, anybody that I'm following, please go follow them because I, I do meaningfully connect with people. And I think I know some really dope people in this space. So just go through my LinkedIn list, tear through it, follow everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but are there any resources that you like to subscribe to, read over, what do you use to keep yourself aware and abreast in this space? So you're ideally not caught unawares, of course, unless it's some crazy meteoric event that no one saw coming. But what do you use to keep yourself sharp in this space? Yeah, um, I think just like you, I follow a lot of people. I mean, with LinkedIn, uh, with TikTok, I mean, there's just so many great individual commenters these days who are bringing up a lot of uh, uh, really important points, uh, not only just sharing data, but sharing the context to it. I'm a big newsletter person, so I follow a ton of newsletters. Um, uh, Black Women Talk Tech has a great newsletter. Um, uh, the information is really good. Um, there's a, a ton of newsletters out there where it can just come straight to your inbox. Um, TechCrunch always has really great stories, particularly around the data. I get a lot of my data from that um, in terms of uh, following and understanding the trends and things that are shifting there. But I would also say too, um, don't get too deep into it. <laughs> and I'm saying this as a data person, because if you think about this, the you're taking a risk if you're going to be a founder and create a big company. Only 2% of all types of companies get VC funding. Again, only 0.3% um, are Black women. The odds of success 
uh, for any of those companies that have gotten funding is about like 1%, right? So it's a very, very tiny percent that you, uh, likelihood that you're going to build this crazy, huge billion dollar company. Um, and I think if you spend too much time in the data and looking at those numbers, you're not going to see yourself in it, right? Um, you have to kind of think I'm going to beat these crazy, crazy odds. Um, and so keep yourself focused on your business, keep yourself focused on what you're doing, celebrate all of your growth and all of your wins, and that's going to add up over time. Um, I, I think it's important to understand the data, but if that's not your day-to-day, -day, like it's my day-to-day, Pull yourself out of it and be inspired by the things that you're listening instead. I think that's optimistic. That's a that's a very optimistic way of looking at it. And that's no, that's good because I, I consider myself a very uh pragmatic person. I think that's from over a decade working in the ICU. I have to um reframe my brain sometimes in that way, like just hopium or die. <laughs> It does yeah. help. It does help to stay positive about your journey very mm -hmm. much so. And I'm very stubborn too. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good way. It, it allows me to be tenacious inside of this space and meet as many amazing individuals as I do. Um, so as, as we're coming to a close, I would like to know, A, what are some immediate goals or outlooks for Funder as far as your launch, when you're planning on really just foot to the gas, moving forward with it, and then additionally some places that people can follow you or connect with you in person, so the next events that you're going to. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so for Funder, we are launched. We are growing, scaling, building at this point. We have customers customers, we have revenue. So um, our goal is to just continue building for those early customers that we have, uh, bring in some funding, and then continue to scale. So I'm really excited about the path that we're on. You know, we've done a lot of research, we've done a lot of work, we've had a couple pivots, um, and I think we're in a really good spot right now. Um, so that's with Funder. And then for my outside work, I have a new events company called uh, Black Future House. We launched at South by to 5,000 people who signed up to come to that event. We're going to be doing our next event at, at Afrotech. So uh, go to blackfuturehouse.com, sign up and follow us there. Um, that's the next place you'll probably see me out. Awesome sauce. And when you still fund it, there's no E in it. I always no e, have to auto correct my autocorrect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> Afrotech South by Southwest. I think that is phenomenal. If you're not following Lauren on LinkedIn, I really don't know what you're doing with your life at this point. <laughs> so take a moment out and follow her. Please connect with her on all socials. I just want to take a moment and give you your flowers because you've already characterized all the data. Not only are we pushing 10 times harder, but right now we're pushing probably 100 times harder. And it takes a lot to put yourself on the chopping block, essentially, even if you don't see it that way. That's that's what we do by putting ourselves in front of large audiences and still championing championing for these these issues that maybe aren't so sexy to talk about or it, it makes you the elephant in the room because people don't want to talk about the DEI people don't want to talk about you know coming from a certain community may actually hinder you even if you have a great product sometimes so it is refreshing to see people who are willing to stand in their truth and 
push forward and advocate for others and lose sleep <laughs> to build such a wonderful MVP. And not only that, I know you mentor a lot of people. The fact that you're sitting here with me on a stream yard at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday speaks volumes to your character, Lauren. I'm, I'm really honored and grateful that you're here today. Thank you. And I'm uh, honored and grateful that you have these conversations and you make space for them because they are so important. So thank you for all the work that you do as well. Well, absolutely. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. The replay will be available both on LinkedIn and YouTube. And stay tuned. I have so many more amazing people coming up. These conversations have to keep going. We're not, we're team no sleep over here. So just stay tuned and have a great day, everyone.